Welcome to Gin and Gentlemen, with me, Eleanor Harkstead, bringing the gin. And accompanied by just one gentleman wearing a swish red coat today, Catherine Curzon. Catherine, why are you bringing only one gentleman with you? This is very unlike you. (laughs) I'm bringing one gentleman with me today because we're going to be talking about Pride and Prejudice. Mm -hmm. And we're going to use that as a bit of shameless self-promotion for my forthcoming theatrical show, Being Mr. Wickham. Mm. So that's who's with me. Well, he's not literally with me. He's in London rehearsing. He's in in a gambling den. Yes, that's (laughs) Wickham, not the actor. (laughs) Not the actor. But the actor is probably sitting on his sofa. (laughs) Doing whatever actors do. Doing whatever actors do on a Thursday night. So, um, shall we kick off with um, the, the the televisual tour de force that was <laughs> Pride and Prejudice, nineteen ninety five. Pride and Prejudice filmed in nineteen ninety four, but it didn't have nineteen ninety five in the title because it that would be weird. But everyone so. seems to think it did. Um, yes, yes, which was made by the BBC, and mm-hmm. it was additionally funded by A and E in America. Oh, so they put some money in and they showed it. I think. A couple of months later, a couple of months after the BBC. Which is handy, because if they hadn't put any money in, I suppose they would have just had like, would have had a row of sheds that were the houses or something. Well, it worked for Heidi High, a row of sheds. <laughs> yeah, I just filmed it in a chalet. So I think um, Pride and Prejudice is arguably the most famous and beloved Jane Austen TV adaptation, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's particularly germane at the moment because ITV is preparing to air Sanditon. It's new Jane Austen adaptation that apparently is full of rumpy bumpy. Um, it's got, oh. it's apparently it's going to be quite X-rated and they're really playing on that angle in the publicity. Um, but Pride and Prejudice, obviously, uh, in 1995, <laughs> didn't really play on skin much. See, so I think I think the thing is when I when I think of costume dramas that I'd watched up to that point, and it was things like that really ponderous, like the BBC always used to make really badly lit costume dramas, didn't they? So there was that very, there was like a very ponderous Oliver Twist. I remember that yeah. we, we watched repeatedly at school. Um, I don't know the Jane the Jane Eyre they did with Timothy Dalton it wasn't too bad, but again, it was a bit dark. My sister had the massive crush on Timothy Dalton whilst watching that but I didn't like his blind eye makeup but I was like eight so oh yes when you can still see his eye moving under the under the lid and yeah. he's lost his eye but it's still there because no, it's as moving an eight-year-old or whatever I didn't understand that's what was happening I was just like ah <laughs> they've stitched his eyelid shut but it wasn't like BBC um not all costume drama up to that date was ponderous and dark you think about things like the jewel in the crown mm. not ponderous and dark at all that's true. Very That's bright true. and luscious and lovely, but yeah. But I think I like Pride and Prejudice made a bit of a splash. So see the, see the, the joke there. Is it to do? Perhaps it's to do with them being more studio bound in the past. I think so. Perhaps. I think so. But um, yes. So we're going to talk about Pride and Prejudice, and we we probably not going to talk too much. I think about the making of type things and all the anecdotes because I think most people that are going to listen to this probably know those. Mm-hmm. They're pretty well known, aren't they? <laughs> it's not exactly a a hidden gem that we need to tell people exists. 
Who's, who's the bloke who plays Mr. Darcy again? I can't remember. Oh, I don't know. What's oh, no. Um, I don't, no, I don't, I don't know what happened to him. No. No, what, he just his fair? career just faltered, didn't it? And just that was it. You know? I think I think he's done panto since then. But yeah, I think he's probably stuck in a shelf somewhere. Um, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but Pride <laughs> and Prejudice, which not on its own, but has contributed a lot, I think, to the sort of Jane Austen industry. Do you think? I think it contributed to it, yeah. And Jane Austen yeah. is an industry. Let oh, yes. there be no lie. Absolutely, I, yes. Um, because I think a lot of people, it's probably one of the first things that they saw, or see, even now, people come to it new, having not mm. seen it. I think so. I think it was the... I'd never read a Jane Austen, really? but it came out when I was a teenager. Um, and so it was the first sort of Jane Austen I'd ever encountered, actually. Mm. I'd never seen a version on telly or read any any of the the books. I we had to do Mansfield Park at A level the year before. <laughs> yeah, we we nearly had to read Mansfield Park, mm. and then we went, no, we want to do Wuthering Heights. <laughs> oh no, we did Mansfield Sorry. Park. Sorry, everyone. <laughs> um, so yeah, so but it was it it was it. How much of it, I wonder, was down to that particular scene? It's certainly the one everyone talks about. <laughs> That's the one. The one that's not strictly in the book. In the book at all, and that originally, I believe, was potentially it was going to be naked. <gasps> oh my god! <laughs> I don't know if that's true. Yes, it was. The BBC opposed. Thank you, Wikipedia. Davies' plans to have Darcy naked, but the producers discarded the alternative as underpants, as fatuous. So they decided instead to go for the shirt, breeches, and boots. I think, I mean, in a way, I think him sort of squelching about in his boots, <laughs> <laughs> tipping, tipping out his boot and a newt falls out. You know? <laughs> Hello, darling. <laughs> but I think, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm among, amongst people who know me and the Jane Austen community that knows me, I'm known for finding that whole thing a bit. I look at it from a sideways perspective. Do you think it's fair to say that? Mm, I yes, at, I think, yes. I look at it from a sideways perspective because it's not really, you know, it's, it's one of those things, if it works for you, it works. Yeah, I, I have um, a, f- a friend who does Baroque dancing mm. and he's we the only man. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's the only man in his group. Mm. And he said that they keep getting women who turn up who seem to be expecting to find Mr. Darcy there. And he's like, and all they see is me. <laughs> but he's a nice chap. I mean, you know, yeah. have a dance with him. I think as well, the thing with Mr. Darcy, you know, like, this is something that people know me for, is that I'm not, that, I'm not really a big fan of Mr. Darcy. No. I'm not that fond. I think he's, he's annoying, bit, isn't he? I think he's a bit dull. I don't mm. think he's like um like Heathcliff, who is insufferable. <laughs> or Rochester, who I had a quite a heated debate with a very good friend about Rochester, which we won't get into here because otherwise I'll start again, who is mm. insufferable in a whole set of different ways. But to <laughs> me, Darcy is just like when I worked in Parliament, I met quite a lot of people who were just civil service. So you could just go, oh, he's, he's like, and I don't mean like what people go, oh, Mr. Darcy. I mean, like, he's like Mr. Darcy. Oh, no. Do you know what I mean? No, I know what you mean. Because I think, and I think I felt that when I, when I watched the thing on, on TV, mm. that like, Mr. Mr. Wickham's so much more appealing than, than Mr. Well, Darcy. Well, I think, I, I think we were talking about this, me and, me and Adrian Lucas, in fact, Mr. Wickham. And mm. we were in agreement. This was at the Q and A we did at the Bath Jane Austen Festival last year. We were in agreement that Mr. Darcy wouldn't be that much fun to go out for a night out. But so no. long as you didn't tell Mr. Wickham your pin number, 
you'd have a really nice time. You'd have a lot of mm. fun. Because I, I think on the TV version, the, the bit where you start thinking, oh, actually, Mr. Dicey's not that bad. It's that bit, you know, when he does the, they do this smolder across the room. Mm. And at that point, I was like, oh, wow. Get me with my that's, own That's quite the smolder. Like that's convinced. quite the smolder. Yeah. <laughs> but you were unmoved. Yeah. I was unmoved. I was unmoved. And I think as well that if, being obviously a Georgian historian as I am in by daylight hours, yeah. um, I'm not, I love Regency stuff and I love the Regency era because I love some of the characters then. But I think if that, it's almost like the clothing as well, if the clothing works for you, mm. then when that clothing is wet, <laughs> it works doubly well. But for me, I'm more of a sort of you know, high Georgian kind of a gal. Yeah. So... I don't know. There's not enough brocade going no, on for you. Really. There's not enough brocade. No. Until you, until we until we look at Mr. Wickham's um, uniform, of course. Of course, of course. <laughs> but I mean, obviously, what we're not, you know, pains to say here, he's not in any way sort of like throwing any shade onto the Pride and Prejudice adaptation because it obviously is a masterful piece of TV. Yeah. You know, it's masterfully written, it's masterfully acted, everything about it is on point. Mm. But it, we're we're more talking about like personal responses to the character i think it's fair to say because a lot of people do have a very strong response to colin firth as mr darcy mm-hmm. I, th- I, mean, I, I mean i think it's one of the things about about that adaptation though that that makes it such a joy is the casting's brilliant it is great isn't it it's fantastic and if you read if you read pride and prejudice like even i think some people said Alison steadman was a bit too over the top but actually i, I think she captures mm. the essential just that woman is so annoying. Yeah, and she, she does annoying like that so well. She is. And um, obviously, Benjamin Whitrow's Mr. Bennett is amazing. Mm. And he oh, yeah. appeared um, with the evening with Jane Austen show that I was involved with. And mm-hmm. he appeared. He, when he started, he would jump out of the audience. You know, in the show in the series where he interrupts the singing, mm. he would actually do that in the show. So when oh, Rosie but... was singing, he would stand up and say, "Oh, that's quite enough of that." And every, You've delighted single, us long every enough. single time someone in the audience would kind of go oh my god I think he was genuinely heckling <laughs> and he was fantastic and obviously you know he's sadly no longer with us but he had still was exactly the. he just transformed into Mr Bennett again oh brilliant just you know that slightly curmudgeonly but with a twinkle in the eye kind of thing and the funny thing was we were at um, a rehearsal where he was rehearsing the show with Adrian and he was offering Adrian some notes from the audience while we were watching the rehearsal <laughs> and my friend said I don't I can't tell if he's actually in character or just giving notes and we were kind of like no he's just giving notes oh no yeah but he was really Mr Bennettish just as he gave his notes as well. <laughs> and it was that kind of thing like we're watching Mr Bennett give notes to Mr Wickham whilst Mr Wickham is reading Mr Darcy's scene <laughs> Are... Make make an honest woman of my daughter, you cove. We are through the looking glass now, you know. <laughs> if you think it's bad enough, I'm giving you notes. You're lucky I haven't horsewhipped you into the yeah, next county. You. <laughs> Actually, I don't think Mr. Bennett would bother, would he? He's too, he's he's too, too lazy. Laconic, isn't he? He's too... <laughs> Just can't be bothered. Yeah, I think he'd, he'd, give it off, he'd give a derisory flick of his newspaper. Yeah, just go whatever. Yeah, <laughs> but everyone in it is so good. There's nobody. You know, sometimes you watch something and you say that was really good apart from. Yeah, there's no apart from. No, everybody no. is so good. Because I think it's the thing when I've seen other versions haven't always been as bowled over by the casting. Yeah, um, 
I'm thinking of um, Death Comes to Pemberley, which I think they made very much, they're very conscious of 1995, mm. if you want to call it that. So they kind of cast everybody quite differently. Yeah. So, so they've got Rebecca Front playing Mrs. Bennett. Oh, Rickard like that then. Which is weird. <laughs> and it's, she's just very quiet and quite nice, but slightly an airhead. Mr. Curzon would enjoy that, Rebecca Front. Does, yeah. he, does he like her? He, he likes like Rebecca. Rebecca Front. He yeah. likes Rebecca. He'd like that. Yeah. Um, and they had Matthew Good playing Mr. Wickham, but he's kind of, he often plays cats, but he plays quite, quite cold cats. Yeah as opposed to the way that Adrian plays Mr Wickham himself where he's sort of a bit of a roguish well I think I mean we'll come to this later but obviously for obvious reasons I've had quite long conversations with Adrian about his reading of Wickham Mm. and it challenged with mine which is that people you know people say and again whatever anyone else has chosen to do with their own Jane Austen fiction I think this is no comment on that at all but quite often, Mr. Wickham is presented as kind of like the villain of villains. Yeah. And he's, you know, he's out there killing and assaulting and whatnot. Mm. But my take on the same as Adrian's is that Mr. Wickham is out for an easy life and a fun life. Mm. So he's not just going to go out and kick a kitten. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. He's not, because in, 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 in Beth Comes to Pemberley, he basically emerges from the forest going, I killed Denny. Just like, oh. I don't know. No, but he'd run off to the gin house. Yeah, and I think it's that thing of that. To me, um, Mr. Wickham, if he's got two choices to follow, and one isn't particularly evil, but he's going to come out of it on top, and the other one is super evil and scheming, and he'll still come out on top. He'll probably do the easy, non-evil one. It's about an easy life and a fun life. He's not going to. He's not going to claim he killed his friend. (laughs) No, it's an easy life and a fun life to me, and. That I think is to me like the essence of a character that he's in my reading of it, only mine. Mm. He's a rogue, but he's not wicked. And I know people go, Oh, yeah, but you know, Lydia was 15, or but we have to view that through the lens of when it was written. Oh, yeah, you know, and we're not gonna, I'm sure we're not gonna get into that here because it's a whole other podcast. But I think that from modern eyes, we don't always do that. No. No, and I think there is there is that comment that comment that Jane Austen is kind of making in that she's asking a question in a way that you know was it right that mm. Wickham was brought up as a gentleman when he didn't have the means of a gentleman mm. because it's left him all at sea. Mm. So no wonder he's kind of turned into a rogue. It has. He's a bit like, um, but he kind of hadn't helped himself with that either. <laughs> well, no, yeah, exactly. It's like you could be a vicar. Yeah, or you yeah. can take the money and you're not supposed to spend it all in one Oh, there it goes, all in one go, sort of thing. Money, Christ. Money, now I have no, suddenly I've got money, now there is no money. From, We yes. all know someone like that as well, I think. Yes. Um, but yeah, so I think that's my, you know, I don't view them as poles apart in terms of one is evil and one is good. And to be fair, I don't think the 1995 version actually does present that. No. Like, if you watch it, Wickham is clearly not, you know, he's a bounder. Oh, yeah. But, but he's not evil. No, he's not evil. And, you know, arguably he gets the worst fate of all because he ends up married to Lydia. But then Lydia ends up married to Wickham. So mm. you could say that, you know, when people say you get the government you deserve, they get the spouse they deserve and potentially could actually be quite happy with because they're going to be as bad as each other in a lot of ways. So it's not exactly. as if each one has got a lovely, adoring, faithful spouse. 
waiting to be we heartbroken. Have... And you can kind of imagine maybe Lydia would be having an affair with a colonel, Wickham would be having an affair with his wealthy wife, and, and, and everyone would be happy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I kind of think as well. Well, that's good. <laughs> the questions are, uh, now everybody, we get to have a live Q&A. Well, it won't be live because we're recording it, but anyway. Recorded Q&A. It's live for us right now. Yes, yeah, so it's, really, the question was, why, why do you like Wickham? I mean, I'm assuming you do like Wickham. Or uh, well, why do I like Wickham? Wickham? I should say that the immediate response to everyone is like, oh, he's like, why do you fancy Mr Wickham? Do you know what I mean? Mm. But it's not, I don't, it's not that, but I think throughout you know it's well known I've spoken quite openly about um, or quite often about my granddad got me into history by telling me stories mm. and usually the stories were about like the villains of history so the highwaymen and the pirates or you know the people lopping off heads in the revolution <laughs> and like a lot of people I think I found the villains a bit more not a bit more interesting i know actors have said that as well that they sometimes find villains more interesting to play because you can have more shades of gray so it's if someone's a hero they're kind of not allowed to not be a hero that's true that's and the true. standard of what shades of gray they're allowed is so mild because you have to and we know this from when we're writing that we'll have conversations where we say oh such and such will do this now and then we say well in real life, that's not that big of a deal. But on the page, we don't want people to go, oh, I don't like him anymore. Oh, yeah, they'll think he's a bastard. Yeah, if we they'll that. think he's a bastard. Whereas oh. a villain, it's kind of like you're allowed this whole spectrum of villainy from the thoughtless rogue mm. to the black-hearted, wicked scoundrel. Yeah. And there's all those shades in between. And for me, I mean, I can't remember how... Was it... The thing that you and I did, the Darcy and Wickham sandbox, is the first place I wrote Wickham? Or had I written it before that? Oh, I think you've done it before, but we had we had that question, didn't we? Because some of you may or may not know this. I I sometimes I have in the past cross-dressed as a 19th century gentleman, which means that I have a, a 19th century gentleman's shirt, rather like a Mr. Darcy mm. shirt which I, in fact, bought from a company called Darcy Clothing, which is coincidental. But I'd got lipstick on it. So I asked you for advice, but in the style of Mr. Wickham. And we, we put it on a website, like an advice <laughs> website. That was it. Um, did you cross-dress if you had a femme face? I you think? Cross- when I was cross-dressed. You had a femme face. Were you not just a we had well, this. I was, yeah, I was kind of... It you was were kind a woman of, in men's clothes. Now I look at it. Weirdly, it looks a bit unlisterish. Actually, what I was doing without mm. meaning knowing I was doing it. But mm. the... <laughs> anyway, um, anyway. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so but I think I'd done it before that. But I think I toyed with an idea, and I can't remember how. But I, I think I just toyed with an idea of potentially doing some sort of continuation of Wickham's life. Mm. But I couldn't find a hook that interested no. me. I didn't. Oh, sorry, there's Pippa agreeing. Pippa says there was a hook. <laughs> there was a hook. I couldn't find a hook. And obviously I knew Adrian, but as a Mm. friend. Mm. And I was talking to Rick about it. And I said, do you know what would make a really good one-man show is like Mr. Wickham? If I was Mm. an actor, I'd write that for myself. And Mr. Curzon said, well, you you know, Adrian, why don't you just ask him? But you know, you're like, I can't ask him. Mm. Like, what if he says no? That'd be awful. (laughs) 
um and then when i actually we had a conversation just generally we were just chatting about you know it was when we were preparing one of the jane austen shows we just had a conversation adrian mentioned mr wickham that people call him mr wickham sometimes you know and i mentioned this idea i'd had and it was kind of like oh and i said oh rick said oh why don't you ask adrian and Ad- and i said i can't do that and then adrian was like well why can't you do why can't you ask me just ask me which was amazing Mm. Um, and then the idea was that I would write something obviously he would read it and that he would read it as not as in a different hat if you like as a professional hat and that if he liked it then we would proceed but if he didn't feel it was right for him then we would proceed as being friends but not that (laughs) and that's you have to do with any with any script you're given as an actor don't you You have to go it's not it's not for me yeah and I mean he was (laughs) kind enough to say you know that he'd read um some of my books and he liked my writing but you know writing a book is really mm. different to writing something for performance isn't it definitely um yeah so that was that was another question really was which you sort of answered mm. actually um which is what why why is the piece wickham at 60 rather than wickham immediately after the end of pride and prejudice <laughs> well adrian's 60 um, <laughs> <laughs> I know, no, I know what you mean. Um, to me, and I'm not going to give any spoilers for what's in being Mr. Wickham, but you can come in, well, you, if you've got tickets, you can submit it in Bath, but it's sold out now. But there are li- literally single number tickets left for Stamford, so you can come sit there. But um, without giving any spoilers, I'm, you know, I'm getting older. <laughs> yeah. And I was 18 when Pride and Prejudice was on, and I'm not 18 anymore. And I particularly anyone that's read you know our fiction will know that quite often our, our heroes aren't 25 mm. that usually they're a bit older and they're usually like late 30s and we've got some now that are in their 40s but to me it was there's lots and lots of people writing what's happening immediately after pride and prejudice yeah and mr wickham is well catered for in terms of things like um the napoleonic wars waterloo you know Mr. Wickham mm. is well represented in the Jane Austen fanfic community. But I was really interested in not what happened to him into the intervening period, but what had happened in terms of the broader relationship with um, Lydia and with that side of the family and with Darcy and that side of the family. Now he's older. Is, is he older and wiser or is he mm, older and just the same? And there were two approaches that Adrian and I discussed, and I had very clearly an idea for the approach I wanted, which, again, it's not a spoiler, but it was to make it something that when you left the theatre, you left feeling quite, like, up, you know. Um, And the other approach, obviously, was that you left thinking, oh, this this is a man who's ruined his life. He's, you know, he's, he's drank and gambled and he's riddled with illness and... Yeah. It would be like, like here he is with some special stage makeup to make it look like Wickham's nose has fallen oh, off. Yeah, like, exactly. Syphilis, um, you know? So what the show deals with is, yeah, Wickham obviously because Adrian's now sixty something. <laughs> Wickham on the eve of his sixtieth birthday, so literally the night before he celebrates being sixty, and how basically how is one of literature's greatest rogues filled the intervening decade? So you get to, it's mainly, it's not sort of a romp through 30 years of history. 
It's not one of those, you know, oh, this happened and this happened and this happened. And, you know, it's not Forrest Gump that he's present at big moments in history. But it is, it's very small scale in that it is what becomes of the man who, what becomes of the rogue when his roguishness is, if you like, uncovered and to some extent tamped down. Mm. By being married, by now suddenly having a, a you know a job, um, a job, a job, <laughs> a job. <laughs> by having people, I guess having people who are now onto you, mm. that all that stuff that you used to get away with, people are looking out for it now. Mm. And there are certain things that I knew that Adrian was really passionate about. There are certain, you know, Adrian's a huge fan of Lord Byron. Mm. so there are nods to him because to me I what I really like is if someone's got written something for a particular performer I think it's really nice to hear a, a touch of the actual performer in the piece because otherwise you know this is not again being shady but otherwise you any actor can play it but when it's actually been written for someone it's nice to feel a bit of connection between the actor and the character definitely definitely yeah. So there's a few moments in there, and I won't say what they are, but there are a few moments in there. There's one line in particular that actually was something Adrian said to me um, three years ago, and it's in the piece. And when he read it, he said he liked the line. I said, you know, you said it. Did I? Uh, <laughs> straight out of you. Was it past the gin? Past the gin. <laughs> My round. I'll um, have another brandy. <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> no. <laughs> so along those lines, though. Um, but there's also... So, nods to Lord Byron it opens uh, well at the moment it does but who knows on the night it opens with um, a quote from Lord Byron um, and if you know your Georgian history there are fa- there are moments where you'll go aha I know what that is mm. but equally there's nothing that if you don't know it that you're not gonna you're not gonna be left out saying oh I didn't get that so now I lost track you know and yeah. it's very much you know, all the familiar names are there all the familiar you know Mr Darcy's obviously there and you get to know um, Mr. Wickham's take on Darcy and Elizabeth and why he actually should get a pat on the back for their happy marriage. <laughs> it's very much like that. <laughs> it's very much Mr. Wickham's view of it's Mr. Wickham's view of the events of Pride and Prejudice, really. Mm. Oh. Mm. Mm. So there we and does he reveal how, just how much money Lydia spent on bonnets? He does not, although he does mention that she still is a keen purchaser of bonnets. Oh my goodness. And Even if they're really horrible ones that she has to restyle. Yeah, quite, I'll tell you what's interesting is since it's come out that, it's, um, that it exists and that it's being produced, a few people have said, oh, is he still with Lydia? Is he still with Lydia? Um, I'm not going to tell you. Ooh. You have to come and see it and find out. <laughs> Oh, cliffhanger. Is he still with Lydia or has he moved oh, on? Or has he chucked her off a cliff? Has he chucked her off a cliff? Literally a cliffhanger. That's the last bullet you're buying with my money. Right? Very literally. So we're very lucky because um, we're very, very lucky because the Jane Austen Festival in Bath, um, Jackie, who is the curator of the festival, wanted to put on the premiere, which is amazing. You know, so at the Georgian Theatre Royal, the old Theatre Royal in Bath, where Sarah Siddons trod the boards. Mm. Um, so it's a theatre that is you know, really, really rich in history. And for a Georgian nerd like me, it's amazing to be standing in the wings and to still be able to see the flies that were there in that era. And this tiny little space backstage and to imagine this teeming with people and life and, oh, you know, and candle lit. And it's, it's amazing. It's a very, very, um, very evocative place. It really is. Excellent. So it's very suitable for Mr Wickham. And from there we go to um, 
Stanford um, mm-hmm. and the Arts Centre in Stanford, which again is part of a bigger building that's got the Stanford, the old Stanford ballroom, the pump room in there. And again, it's a beautiful and really rich in history building. Mm. So it's nice that it's having its inaugural two performances in these for these places that are very Georgian. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, because yeah, I, 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 I was going to go to one of your shows in Stamford mm. and I couldn't actually go because the last train from Stamford was before the end of the thing yeah and it was a so, sunday as well but, like, but it? it does look amazing when you see pictures of it with everyone in their georgian clothes walking around and, mm. and it's a georgian market town and it's and it looks it looks amazing it so. is and the whole town and it's the same in bath for the festival there, the whole town really gets behind it and oh, that's good it's really part of the festival like you get a sense you know sometimes you go to a place and you go in a shop and they don't know there's a festival happening <laughs> Mm. in Stamford everybody knows and they're wearing t-shirts and there's posters in all the shops and it yeah and it's just a really nice atmosphere because it's quite a small place um and still super Georgian just to look at it's really easy to sort of like absorb back into the time yeah so yeah so I mean the difference is Bath um we're doing a question and answer after the show there um Mm. at Stamford there isn't one um but that's the only difference. Yeah. So there you go. Well, yeah. And and one's in Stamford and one's in Bath. <laughs> yes, obviously. I also have a question. Um, um, is is this going to be performed anywhere else? We have had interest from some other venues, but obviously can't talk about them. Top um, secret. Top secret. <laughs> we are super keen <laughs> to take it around. We would love to. Um, and a few people have already come forward and suggested some other venues. And as I say, a couple of venues have been in touch. But what I would say is to anyone listening who does have a venue they think might be right, um, tell the venue about us and about the show and get mm. them to get in touch. And we will see what will happen because Mr. Wickham is is ready to ride again. <laughs> <laughs> I've just had an idea, but I will share it with you afterwards. I do, do. But yes, he rides again. Um, yeah, so I, I have another question. Um, so, you know, bearing in mind you've, you've done this one man show about Mr. Wickham, um, you've done, you've written your books about George and Royals. Do you think there's any of those real life characters that you could turn into a, a similar thing, a one man or even one woman show? Well, mm. this, well, when we decided to run with the Mr. Wickham show, mm. I was, I'd actually had an idea for, um, a show about a Georgian royal, which mm. was um, Carolina Brunswick, ah. the shocking wife of George the <laughs> Fourth. Um, and I was kind of thinking about performing it myself. Ooh. Yes, but it was when I say thinking of, it was literally I thought about it and then immediately thought, yeah, I'm not sure I could do a German accent. You've heard my German accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think there are. It's a bit low, a low. Yes, there are some. I think she, in particular, yes, she would yeah. make a great show. She had a wonderfully scandalous life. Mm. You know, yeah, I, I kind of thought Prinny would be obvious, but a bit too obvious. Yeah, and he's been done a couple mm. of times. Um, George the first, I wondered about as well, but I think mm. Caroline has the right amount of um, fun. She's very fun. And I tell you, I'm just looking at because I found a quote in a newspaper the other day about Caroline Brunswick 
So this kind of sums up. She ran away to Europe when she and Prinny split up. Ooh. And this was from a newspaper when she was in Europe. An evening paper has a ridiculous story about a certain illustrious female, which is Caroline. We, blah, 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 that Her Majesty saw among curiosities on her rambles the dancing boys of Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> they are, to be sure, very shameful shows. But when we see all the world of fashion applauding the lewd displays of opera dancers, it is worse than contemptible to make a charge such as this. We also know because some travellers said that she gallivanted on Italian beaches wearing a diaphanous dress with nothing underneath. Ooh. Yes. And she was completely shameless about it. She was like, I'm enjoying life. What of it? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> yeah. When you get all those other poor Georgian women who ended up married to husbands who have lots of lovers and made them miserable. And she's just like... Party! Yeah, she did. She loved it. She, loved, she was living her best life. Yeah. So I think Absolutely. she would have an interesting story in her. I also mm-hmm. think um, Caroline of Ansbach, you know, um, George II's wife. Mm-hmm. Because she was super, super politically engaged and she was the regent when he was out of the country. So she ran the country. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that sounds like fun. She ran the country to the extent that it led to the estrangement with her son because he thought he should be. (laughs) And on one occasion, George II went missing, coming back from Germany. Oh, dear. And there's some Frederick, um, George III. How do you you lose a king? Well, exactly. (laughs) But George III's son, George III's father, Frederick, who was George II's son, he ran into the court shouting, Dad's dead, he's drowned. (laughs) <laughs> and making a massive kind of party about it. I'm going to be king now. <laughs> oh dear. And she was furious, but she was also really upset because, she, you know, it looked like her husband was dead. And then when he came home, he just had really bad piles. <laughs> really so he bad went to bed, bed with piles or hemorrhoids. I don't know if people outside of England use the word piles. George II oh. took to his bed with hemorrhoids. So Frederick went around telling everyone that it wasn't hemorrhoids, but he was dying of hemorrhoids. <laughs> and in the end he had to make an appearance at court to prove that he was alive oh. and that the worst thing was that he had piles but yeah she was an incredibly strong woman so it, I mean it's up from all that travelling in a badly sprung carriage oh well, brings on the piles um, she was an incredibly strong woman and she had a horrendous death Ooh. but she was just the most remarkable woman and the way they met as well George II and his wife but George I um, marriage was legendarily bad, you know. It was the wife oh, yes. that he locked in a cow- tower for 30 years. That's had, quite a bad marriage. Having an affair. Bear in mind, whilst he was doing that, he had children with another woman. <laughs> but um, he said to his son, my marriage was terrible because I didn't get to choose my wife, so I'd like you to choose your wife. But oh. there's this lady called Caroline, and we think she'd be a good wife, but if you don't like her, that's fine. So George II disguised himself as a minor noble called Monsieur de Bush. <laughs> and he went to Caroline's court and went there as a guest. And they fell in love. Oh. And he asked her to marry him. And she said yes. And then he said, oh, I should probably tell you. I'm a king. That I'm going to be a king. And she said, well, I didn't know. Now, some people have said, well, I bet she did know. But we don't mm. have any evidence that she knew. So, oh. and their marriage was a very successful one. And obviously he did have um, mistresses, famously Henrietta Howard, you know. But she didn't really care. 
Caroline was quite happy because she knew to her, you know, having a mistress, that was part of being a king. Yeah. And she wielded an immense power. And the only person that he asked for advice when he came to affairs of state was her. Because he, he, she had her head screwed on. She did. And she was one of those women of the era that you think if she'd not been born a woman in that era, she'd have probably been, you know... Yeah, she'd very have, successful. Yeah, very Shut successful up. in her own right. And if she'd been born later, again, she would have been successful. But as it was, she was a queen. But she wasn't, mm. you know, like George III's wife, Charlotte, she was a queen and she he particularly chose her for having absolutely no interest in politics. Mm. Whereas George, Caroline Landsberg, I just think she'd be... I think she'd be a fearsome character to have a show about. Mm. Fierce. There you go. Mm. But at the moment, I'm all Wickham. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he's the only person that I've thought about writing about who's a man in terms of a show. It's strange, isn't it? Mm. Very strange. But I think as well <laughs> that it's... Um, when I write it, I think you know this, that when I write the Wickham things as well, I don't write... You know when we write, you and I, and we mm. write it and then we edit it and we plot it beforehand and it's mm. all quite... With that, I will literally go away and think about it for months. So really? I thought about it for about... When Adrian said that he wanted to do it, because I sent him a couple of bits of Wickham stuff that I'd written to see mm-hmm. if he liked the tone of voice, which he did. Um, and then I wrote the show, but I went away thinking about it for months and months and months, but not written a word. And people would say, how's the Wickham show going? I'd be like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's going all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's, I took it's, myself it's off. It's amazing in my head. Yeah, you know my um, coaching in, my 18th century coaching in that I go to? I took mm. myself off there and I sat down and in one day I wrote it. Mm. But by that point, because it's first person, so much of it was in my head, word for word. Mm. And I believe, wasn't it, um, was it Agatha Christie who said that? If she, that she would write most of the books while she was washing the pots or something. I think it was Agatha Christie. Yeah. And then she would just write it all down. And I think it was that because when it's coming from, when it's first person, it has, I think if, it, if it's too written... Yeah. Yeah, it has to exist as words before it exists on a page. That makes sense. That no, that does make sense. Yeah. yeah. And then obviously so. you go through and do all the normal refining and the you know, all of that jazz. Yeah. <laughs> all of that jazz. So oh, it's not, you know, it's not a bleh, one draft. Mm. But that whole hour long show came out as one draft in one afternoon, which was written with some gin and some cups of tea and some cake and things like that. And then at the end of the afternoon, Rick came down to the um to the where I was sitting by the stream, and he said, "How are you getting?" I was like, "Finished." <laughs> but as I say, in terms of in my head, it, a lot of it was just writing down what was already in my head, word for word. Hmm. And then I had to I read it out because you know to make sure it sounded like someone talking. But it, I'm sure it will sound far better when performed by Adrian Lucas as an actual trained actor <laughs> than me. <laughs> Doing my best, oh. Mr. Wickham, in my office. <laughs> oh, listen, tell us about what Adrian did, where he went to go and read through it and kind of somewhere he thought that Wickham would go. You've lost me. <laughs> do, you, do you remember? Oh, shall I say? Because I think you said he went to, he spent the day at Kew Gardens. Oh, <laughs> yes. When we were on, yeah, we were talking about it. Oh, this was, oh, gosh, now couple of years ago when we first talked about it yeah and he went when he got chased by the stags was it when he got oh. chased by stags oh was that was that when he just he just he just was out one day and got chased by the stags yeah and we were talking about it on the phone and we were talking about wickham you know and the trouble that wickham would get into and all this at which point 
there were some stags that were I'm not sure exactly what happened, but some rutting stags. That having having a having, having a, a bit of phantom, a phantom. on the phone he suddenly said, Oh, just a moment. And then, you know, he can hear someone's like sleeve or pocket. <laughs> and he said all oh, the stags were looking a little bit over key. <laughs> oh dear. Yes. So the stags chased Mr. Wickham away from Richmond Park. <laughs> <laughs> That that is something that does sound like quite a Mr. Wickham esque thing, doesn't it? Chased by stags. Yeah, I think the stags probably thought they were he was going to try and kidnap them or something. Yeah, coming to steal your curl, Mr. Wickham. Medicine for tea. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say I never give you anything, Mr. Darcy. Look what I've got. Looks like I'm mine. But I tell you what, it's quite weird. Do you know what's weird, but in a lovely way, Mm. is to think that. That person who you've seen at the theatre and you've seen on TV and you've been a bit of a fan of, you know, it's no secret, that they're now sitting at home rehearsing your script. Do you know what I mean? It's a lovely feeling. Mm. It really is. I mean, I'm not saying right now. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Because he sent me a message saying, you know, it's that time. I'm, I'm on it. I'm on it. And I was like, oh, my God. Oh my god! What if he suddenly realises he doesn't like it and all the tickets are sold? That could have been awkward. Yeah, but um, he's a professional, so he did. He did have a good read before he committed to anything. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got laryngitis, yeah. and I think it's that thing as well that obviously there are tons of absolutely fantastic actors, mm. but when you see someone, he's very associated with that part. Although you know he's played. A lot of the parts he's been this year alone, Olivier nominated. Mm. People, when they go, oh, Adrian Lucas, Mr. Wickham. And now he's coming back, you know, and to see it written up in the blurb for the show saying, returns to the stage as Mr. Wickham. You think, oh my God. <laughs> like if I was looking at that as someone, as not as the person that wrote it, but as a fan of it, I think I'd say, oh my God, look at this. Yeah. So to go, oh my God, look at this. And I wrote that. <laughs> But does does I'm going to take a guess here, Mr. Lucas quite enjoy playing Mr. Wickham. Yes, and he is one of the actors that does. He's quite open about that he enjoys playing the villain. Ah, for that reason that he thinks there's more to go at. He thinks there's more to get hold of if you like. Mm. So mm. it allows you to be a little more um, not flamboyant, although he is at times flamboyant. But yeah, it allows you a little more room to manoeuvre in the interpretation of the character. Mm. Mm. And with, obviously, Mr Wickham being, as we were saying, a villain, but to me at least, not a wicked villain. Mm. He's a villain because of the circumstances that he chooses to follow. Yeah. So, And I think it's that thing that a lot of people, they, when, they want, when they meet him, people will say, oh, you know, he's not like Mr Wickham at all. <laughs> like no he's not he's actually quite well he's nice <laughs> he's not like mr wickham at all. but there's lots of... he's an actor yeah, there's not... lots of photos of him you know a lady last year she said oh well you sort of like pose in a slightly like lascivious way <laughs> so he's kind of like doing his best you know kind of like um lon cheney like ha 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 type thing and she's going like oh my goodness <laughs> so he's, i mean obviously no one looking at it would know it was anything but a joke but yeah mm. he's quite um obviously like you know he doesn't he as I say, he plays lots of other roles and he's absolutely fantastic as an actor, very versatile actor. So, But he doesn't have any... Um... You know, some actors will say, I don't want to talk... When I met Christopher Lee, 
we were told don't yeah. ask about James Bond don't ask about Space 1999 which is bizarre because it was only in one episode <laughs> and <laughs> don't ask about Dracula um, which is, is one of those things that you kind of think well there's not much to ask about is that, like, would you like reading Roger Moore and being told don't ask about the saint or James Bond yeah, I can ask him about the work he's done with uh, the, yeah. the children's charities. Thing. But it's quite funny because the first time I met Adrian, I said, oh, I'm not going to ask him anything about Mr. Wickham. So mm. I deliberately went out of my way to go, like, you know, I, I know about your other work. I've seen your other work. And now I'm the person that's brought him back to the role. <laughs> yeah. You were very good in Lewis. Yeah, you were excellent. <laughs> but yeah, he's, yeah, he's not, um, you know, like you say, some actors can get quite het up about yeah. it. He's not any takes it all in his stride and he absolutely loves meeting fans and he you know he loves this when he went to start the uh, Jane Austen festival a couple of years ago he took a photo of the people in costume because it's usually them taking a photo of him and he's like oh they look amazing <laughs> let's get a photo of them <laughs> and I'm sure there will be many more photos of Adrian taken this yes. year in Bath. <laughs> we went to the theatre a couple of years ago actually and it was at um, an event that was Jane Austen and in the interval for that, people were saying, oh, can I take you, get a photo with you? <laughs> and he wasn't even God. there. To, you know, and he was, yeah, he's very happy to do it. Nice guy. Oh, it's a good nice. job I didn't have to go, no, he won't. Don't approach him. No, go away. Don't approach him. He's surrounded <laughs> by a ring of steel. Or, or be properly Wickham. Yes, 50 quid. 50 quid. <laughs> <laughs> 50 quid in your daughter's hand in marriage, sir. <laughs> so long as she's over a certain age, obviously. So there we go. Um, Fifty quid. You can't buy tickets now, apart from for Stamford, I think. Yes, you can buy them for Stamford. So there's Stamford tickets if you can get to Leicester. Yeah, get yourself off to Stamford. Leicestershire, Lincolnshire. <laughs> it's Lincolnshire. All I know is that when you when you go on the train to Stamford and you go past a sign at one of the railway stations that says home of the Melton Mowbray pork pie <laughs> basically if you can get yourself to Leicestershire don't buy tickets to Stamford because it's in Lincolnshire oh yeah don't yeah go yeah if you can get yourself Just to Lincolnshire then make you sure you're in the right tickets. county <laughs> make sure you're in the right county yeah um but yes Bath is sold out I don't know if there are returns I don't know about that I'm just the writer I don't know <laughs> I don't know. Come and listen at the door. <laughs> Do your best. Do your best. Camp and out in a sleeping bag. I will say as well, a lot of people from outside the UK, a lot of them have asked if it will be filmed. Um, mm. And I should say, at the moment, there are no plans to do so. But mm -hmm. if you are, I don't know, Steven Spielberg, and you're listening to this, <laughs> by all means, Steven, give us, you know, get your people to call my people. <laughs> but we are yeah we are looking at other opportunities at the moment so it's hopefully not a sort of two shot and we're off deal i think it needs a bigger audience i think it'd be nice i think it'd be nice as well obviously i think it'd be nice <laughs> but i think it would be and i think it's a show that will lend itself to lots of different venues so it would lend itself nicely to heritage venues as well and mm. it's you know it's self-contained it's a one-man show exactly you know yeah. um you Stay tuned need... for Wickham the musical, but at the moment, I was going to say you don't, you don't need like like enough enough changing rooms for a cast of three hundred with like multiple costume changes. No. And it feels very right that we're um, that we're premiering it in Bath because Bath have always been very generous to me as well. You know, when I was just starting out, that they booked me to do a talk at the festival, which was for me fantastic because you think no one's going to book you, and then the Jane Austen Festival do. 
Um, mm. So to have appeared there myself a few times and for this year, because, you know, I am a writer first and foremost, for this year, something I've written to be appearing there feels like a really nice full circle. Mm. And oh, last yes. year we went out in Bath and we met with Jackie, Adrian and Jackie and I and Mr Curzon as well and Pippa, my dog, all got together and we were discussing it and it was one of those things you think, well, it's not going to happen because it's a year from now, that's forever away, isn't it? Mm. And now it's, it's what, it's for four weeks away. <laughs> and all the time then they were saying, how are you getting on? I was going, yep, yep, thinking mm, it's all in my head. You know, as long as no one chops my head off, I'll have to get it all out of my head. <laughs> but yes, and you obviously, Eleanor, you will be there at Bath. I will be there. I'll be having a bath. You will. I'll be like Mariah with my entourage. <laughs> my hairdresser and the person that carries me up and down stairs. And, you know, the person whose job is to stir my tea. Making, making sure there's the right flowers in your room. I want this whole venue painted white. Trying not to snore. Yeah, red carpet. I want candles at the sides. The red carpet. <laughs> Getting my gels done. Yeah. <laughs> Trying not to fall on my face when I get onto the stage to the Q&A. <laughs> no, I think everyone's looking at you. Except they're not. They're looking at Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> I can fall over where I like. Yes. And if you are coming, they are coming. Don't ask, don't ask any hard questions. Ask nice questions. Don't ask any hard questions. <laughs> In the Q&A, ask nice questions. Yeah. Have you ever been on Auntie's Bloomers? There you go. <laughs> That's one for the Brits in the audience, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think I want to ask that question just because there's mileage in bloomers, I think. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Out of the inkwell. <laughs> Can I just so... say to read listeners? <laughs> The, the bit of this podcast that you didn't just hear was me saying to Helen, do your demonic voice. <laughs> Does that, that sound demonic or confused? I'm not sure. It sounded like a confused demon. I'm a demon who's just appeared going, what's this? Why am I in an inkwell? What's it's running a... out of our inkwell, Eleanor? Well, um, we've we've written lots of stuff since we last we recorded have. a podcast, I think, haven't we? Um, yeah, gosh, we have, yeah. My goodness, we, we we wrote the one about the um, airline pilots. Yes. Ooh. Which was lots and lots of fun. Wasn't that good fun? Um, really was. I did lots of research, watched lots of um, cockpit videos, flight yeah, tech we videos. Did. Um, we did. Uh, Looked at lots of photos so of planes. Studied flight radar 24. We, did, um, we studied cockpit diagrams. We studied um, checklists. Yes. That actual, we went through the actual industry checklist and not obviously, we're not going to be able to fly a 7 8 a Dreamliner. But... Yeah, basically, if there's a problem the next time I go on a plane, I'm going to volunteer. Yeah, you're laughing, basically. Well, <laughs> I mean, they'll laughing. probably tell me to go, but. Yeah, it's going to be better. Stop calling me Shirley. Um, so, yeah, we did that. Um, and we have worked on something that's tangential to that, which was, again, about a plane, but it was about a Spitfire. Oh yes. So that was a whole different learning curve. Indeed, yes. Yeah. So we were we found Catherine found um, like a, a a sort of it's a three hundred and sixty degree oh, thing, isn't fantastic. it? Where you see all the all of the inside of a co- of a cockpit on a Spitfire. Yeah, and, and that you hover is. your mouse over a, really any part of it, wasn't it? 
Yeah, and you could see everything. Yeah, and it had the definition of what that thing was and how it worked and what, you know, it was fantastic. It was brilliant, wasn't it? Yeah, so it that was, was... Even if we hadn't been writing that for Eleanor and I, that would have still been brilliant. That would have been fun. fun. Very much our sort of thing. <laughs> it was great fun, yes. um, and also you know, when you compare it to what a flight deck looks like now, and so we when Ooh, looked yeah. at with the HUDs and everything, and all the computer stuff, and then you look at the, a Spitfire and how mm. different it's how it's buttons and dials, and, mm. yeah, that's but that's how a... both essentially are still incredibly small spaces. Oh yeah, because when you look oh, yeah. at um, obviously when you look at a jetliner now, mm. you think all oh, cockpit flight deck big space no. Mm-mm. Very small, small, elbow to elbow spaces. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, this this is one of the nice things about writing the research part of it is is often lots of fun, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So they've not been climbing out of our inkwell so much as flying. Out of yes. Our zooming. Zooming out of taking off. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, we wrote about the royals. We well, not have, some. Yeah. But, um, so, yes, yeah, so lots of lots of stuff. Um, we also have some news from the Inkwell as well, don't we? Yes, just this very day. This Today, hot off the day, press. Hot off the press. We have um, we have inked the contracts. It was it inked? Oh yes. Um, we've inked the contracts for number five in the Captain series. Yes, which is the. Captain and the Squire. Oh yes, yes. So and we it's... can't share the details of it with you yet in terms of the blurb because obviously it's not finalised yet. But it's a <laughs> very. <laughs> we'll explain to you in a future podcast while we're laughing about that. It's um, a rip roaring modern rom com. It's extremely saucy and it features a man in very tight jumpers, <laughs> another man in beautifully cut tweed. Mm. And a characterful pig, yes, whose life depends on our leading men. Yes, and so it's 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 sort it's a similarish world to the Captain and the Cricketer, but not. It's quite yes, it's raunchy. A, it's very very much. It's probably our raunchiest to date. Yes, and it's also rather silly. So it is rough. It's very silly. <laughs> um, but lots of fun, lots yes. of saucy fun. So yes, and don't forget, you can still. Pre-order the Captain Theatrical. Exactly. So, so if you're listening to this and you and you like a Regency, and you like a Regency rom-com, yes. and you like you like the thought yeah. of a Regency rom-com with cross-dressing in it, and yeah, if and you like drag, drag, if you like drag, this is the story for you, the Captain and Theatrical. If, and if you like performing parrots, you're gonna love it. Yeah, and so. to be honest, if you like Pride and Prejudice, if you like a comedy of manners, although a rather rotty one, you yeah. know, Jane Austen was never like this. So <laughs> <laughs> I bet she did. I bet she wrote all those and then had to hide them. Which... Yeah, she was like, delete those scenes. Yeah, delete the scenes not with the queen. I mean, I think men do that together, but I wouldn't like to say. <laughs> <laughs> which, of course, by which she means going out for a ride. <laughs> oh. hey. Obviously, we've talked about it in more detail in a previous podcast, yes. um, and we will talk about it in more detail, I'm sure, in a future podcast. Um, but yes, yeah, so our inkwell has been rather busy today. <laughs> I I think it might be time for who is putting the fizz in your gin. Well, um David Tennant has been putting the fizz in my gin. Um I like many people, perhaps some of you listening, um watched Good Omens, which had um 
and it had David Tennant in it playing um, a devil and he was very good playing the devil and he had he had kind of there was like world weariness to the way he played the devil but he was still a kind of rock and roll devil so it was really really fun times and just as um, I finished watching um, Good Omens the BBC started showing um, a, a program that was made by BBC Scotland in 1994 or 5 which ties us back in with Pride and Prejudice mm-hmm. strangely which I watched at the time it was actually being yes. broadcast called Taking Over the Asylum which mm. is about a radio station like a hospital radio station in a hospital for people with mental health issues and Sorry, David Ken, Tennant Ken Stark yes. am I right? Yes, so Rebus is in it. Mm. <laughs> oh, and who else is in it? One of the nurses is the woman from um, the episode of Only Fools and Horses where they dress up as Batman and Robin ah. and she plays the counsellor. She's in it! And I was like, oh, it's her, it's her! Anyway, so, <laughs> so, anyway, so, um, so they've got this radio station and David Tennant is one of the patients and he plays someone who has bipolar disorder. And he was so good in it. And it's, it's baby David Tennant. And it's, but it was really fun Not watching that... Baby, that coming out of watching him playing you know so he's playing the hopeful optimistic young man and then you know you've got him playing the quite cynical rock and roll devil in good mm. omen so it's that was so i was like thank you david tennant for being terribly good and entertaining so there you go catherine there you go. who's putting the fizz in your gin putting the fizz in my gin it can only be one person this week and it's adrian it's adrian lucas this week because he is preparing to play Mr. Wickham and it's amazing. And I'd, if I could go back and tell 18 year old me that this was going to happen, mm. she'd go, what? What is this? Um, so, yeah, that's who it is. It's a very obvious choice, but I think it is the only right choice. Well, week. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there it is. So we are going to ride off into the sunset um, in our red coats because, you know, we don't need no man. <laughs> yeah, I'm just I'm just trying to squeeze into my tailcoat. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna Oof, don our red coats and find some hairdressers to marry. <laughs> so we'll see you. Well, we might see you in Bath. We have delighted you long enough. We have. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Out of the inkwell again. A newsflash: we'd actually finished recording our podcast. Um, and as we're finishing it, we just got an email from our editor to tell us that um, we've not only um, inked the contract on uh, the fifth captain's double, they've just contracted the sixth one too. Way. And that is the captain and the prime minister. Mm. Mm. And we will tell you more about that in a future podcast. Yeah. But believe us when we say that uh, British politics was never this good looking before. No. <laughs> yeah, because most of the time in British politics, you, you don't want to know about that side of what they, they get up to, do you? <laughs> and, you know, we're not nailing our political colours to the mask, but we will say, it ain't about Boris Johnson. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let someone else write that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. Hot off the presses. You heard it here first. Bye. Bye. Find out more at our website, cousinharksdid.co.uk. And thank you, purple-planet.com, for the music. <laughs>